Lord, he passed away last Thursday. So uh, his, uh, the memorial service is here uh, Saturday the 12th uh, at 2.30. Uh, and so we want to let you know about that. Uh, so be aware. We'll, we'll have more specific uh, details in next week's bulletin. Um, just, we were just finding out as this one had already gone to print. Uh, so next Sunday we'll have uh, that in writing for you, but want to let you know about that. Um, when Emma was little, one of her favorite things to do was to play doctor uh, with my dad. Uh, Deb's folks are grandma and grandpa, my parents are gaga and papa. So she would play with papa uh, and play doctor. My, my parents had that classic uh, Fisher-Price doctor's set. Y'all remember this? Um, so that was mine when I was a kid. Uh, we had this thing growing up, and, and, and this is off the internet because we lost half that stuff. But, um, you know, they, they managed to hang on to most of it. And so when Emma was little, she would uh, play with this. She'd come out and treat Papa, you know. Uh, one time she was giving my dad a shot with the little syringe there. And uh, she said, okay, Papa. Now, she'd been to the doctor the week before. And so she knew all the lingo. And so she said, she said, okay, Papa, you're going to feel a little pinch. And gave him the shot, right? Well, a few minutes later, it was Eli's turn to be the doctor, and he thought Papa must need another shot. So my dad said, well, Eli, is this going to be a little pinch? And he said, nope, this is really going to hurt. <laughs> it was just, that's kind of, you know, going on to live in infamy in our, in our family lore. Uh, it's, it's hard, but it's good when the doctor is totally honest with you, isn't it? So this morning, I want to be totally honest with you. This might hurt. If you've got your Bibles, open them to John 15, 18. We've been working through Jesus' last words to his disciples in the upper room before his crucifixion and resurrection in this sermon series called Indivisible. We're talking about how Jesus lays out his priorities for his disciples. He knows that hard times are coming for them, that their faith will be tested, and he's trying to prepare them for that. Today's text is the part of the passage where Jesus really gets down to the nitty-gritty. He tells his disciples that for them, struggle is going to be normal. Struggle will be the norm in the words of Eli, this is really going to hurt. And I think we need to hear this today. When I was in seminary, I remember the day in class that we prayed for a fellow student. Um, in his ministry in rural Illinois, um, the youth group, one of the kids in the youth, they'd been talking about evangelism, and they got excited about this. And one of the kids shared her faith with a friend from school and invited her to youth group. And she came to youth group and heard the gospel and wanted to be baptized. The problem was her parents were militant atheists. They hated God. And she couldn't drive. And they said, honey, we don't really care that you want to be baptized. We're not driving you to that church. Sorry. And so the, my classmate was saying, pray for me that we know a graceful way to handle this situation. Because this girl's faith is real. <laughs> She's seen how miserable her parents are and wants to live a different life. And how do we do this and still honor them as parents, but, you know allow her to respond in faith to the gospel. Raise your hand if you have felt like being a Christian has become harder in the last few years. If you're watching online in the chat, you can type amen or I'm raising my hand at home or whatever you're doing. Yeah, 
<laughs> You're like, few years? The last few months have been hard. What do you mean, few years? I don't need years. I can measure this in days. Well, listen, I've got good news for you this morning. I think we need a reminder today that struggle will always be normal for followers of Jesus. And because it's always normal, and because our God is good, he has given us his Holy Spirit to sustain us through the trouble, to get us through it. As we dig into this text, I want you to look for two kinds of struggles where the Holy Spirit helps us. Look with me at John 15, starting in verse 18, okay? John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. He's talking about the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet have hated both me and my father, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Go back and read Psalm 35 if you want to get the messianic context of that, that, that quote. It's, it's, it, it'll feed your soul. He says, when the advocate, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify. That means to bear witness, to share what God has done in your life with someone. Does that sound familiar? You must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. This was literally fulfilled in Saul's life. Remember Saul, before he became a Christian, that's what he was doing. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not only speak on his own, he will speak only, or he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he makes known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You see him? Two kinds of trouble that we experience here where the Spirit helps us. Here, here's the first one. 
we need to know that external trouble is normal. This is trouble from outside your own experience. This is something that's external to you. Throughout this passage, Jesus warns his disciples that they will face trouble from outside themselves. They're going to be mocked, persecuted, mistreated, even hated. That's normal. (laughs) This is such a difficult teaching for us, isn't it? Because in America, in the 21st century, church, we've been the home team for so long in our culture. We've had the benefit of everybody kind of just going along with it for so long. We've forgotten what it's like to be the visitors. To have people on the opposite sides of the stands chanting, you stink, you stink, go home. This is hard. And Jesus told his disciples, it's normal. What we have lived through in Western culture for so long has actually been an aberration compared to what Jesus told his disciples would be normal for their experience. We've been the home team for a long time. We're not anymore. And Jesus has given us his spirit to help us, help sustain us through these times. Well, how does that happen? Well, the way that the Holy Spirit helps us withstand these external troubles is through our shared truth. I want to put that phrase in your mind this morning, shared truth. Our primary shared truth is the gospel message. When you look at John 15, 26, it says that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth that testifies. He bears witness. He shares with with us what God is doing in the world. He's he's got a firsthand knowledge. When you look at John 16, 13, the text says that he will guide you. That word is is a word that that really derives from the word for road. He will lead you down the road of truth. So how does, he, how does the Spirit do that? How does he guide us into truth? How does he lead us through into this shared truth of the gospel? Well, I think primarily he does it through Scripture, God's revealed word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. And when you do your context work, you find that breath, the breath of God and the Spirit of God are deeply connected in the Bible. That the way that the Spirit guides us is through the truth revealed here in God's Word. Now, there are other ways that the Holy Spirit communicates truth. Absolutely, there are other ways. Sudden insight, people with the spiritual gift of discernment, um, the inspirational words of others, inner conviction. I mean, there are a lot of ways that the Spirit can communicate truth. But the primary one, the, 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 the master way that He communicates is through the Word. Those methods, the other ways, are secondary. This is the main one. And Scripture, then, is the primary, it's the normal way that the Spirit conveys truth. So what is the truth revealed in Scripture that sustains us in difficult times? Here it is. Being like Jesus will very likely bring additional trouble into your life. Now, it will solve some. It'll get rid of some. When you become like Jesus... (laughs) you find out that your spouse gets a better mate. 
When you become like Jesus and you begin to surrender your financial life to God, you find out he can put it in order in a way that you never thought possible and you can get out of debt and begin to make an eternal difference through your giving. You begin to understand that your relationships with your neighbors change and they become redemptively focused and not just how do I get his dumb cat to stop coming in my yard? It, it changes you, and it changes you for the better, but you also need to understand being like Jesus will bring some trouble into your life. And it's only in Christ that you have the spiritual and emotional equipment to handle that. Listen, the disciples have known this from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You go, go all the way back to Matthew chapter 5, right? In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted and mistreated because of me. He told them at the very beginning of his ministry, this is going to happen. Don't, don't be shocked. <laughs> don't be surprised. In Matthew 5, 10 and 12, we see that. One of the major, you know, here in this passage, Jesus says, if they hated me, they'll hate you. And one of the major themes of this passage is that if we are like Jesus, the world will respond to us the same way it responded to him. So how did the world respond to Jesus? Well, people who saw their own spiritual bankruptcy, to lean back into the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt. People who see that will love Jesus. I've told you before that if lost people don't like you, you're not enough like Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. People who see their own spiritual bankruptcy, people who understand their need, will, will, if they love Jesus, they'll love you. But there's another group of people out there, <laughs> a group of people who cannot see or who refuse to see their spiritual need either because of their self-righteousness or their addiction to the sins of the flesh. And they'll hate Jesus, they hate Jesus and they'll hate you. <laughs> see, the weird paradox of this shared truth that's revealed here is that in order to make Jesus our platform, <laughs> or make peace our platform, to truly be indivisible, unable to be divided by any category of the world, we have to become more like Jesus. And sometimes it's in being like Jesus that we're going to face more trouble from the world as it tries to pull us apart and divide us. It's, the, it's a paradox. I, both things are true. They don't seem to make sense together, but they are. See, a major application here for us, church, is this sustaining truth that we are bound together in the Spirit. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Look at this. He says, those who suffer the same things from the same people for the same person can scarcely not love each other. Just sit with that for a second. If we're living the Christian life the way we ought to be living it, you will face opposition from the world. It's not if, it's when. We've been the home team for a long time, and things are changing. And, and you can bemoan that and say, well, good old days were better. Okay, yeah, great. What are you going to do? You don't live in those days. You live in these days. What are you going to do about this? <laughs> Lewis is right. We've got to love each other. That's how. If you're struggling with animosity toward another brother or sister because of their politics or their opinions on something you think is important, can I remind you this morning that Jesus died for them too? Some of you might need to hear that today. 
But they said, but they did. Yeah, and you know what? The ground at the cross is level, man. And you needed it as much as they did. They needed it as much as you do. Remember that. See, what Lewis is driving at here is the the external troubles that we face, the shared truths that we hold about who Jesus is and what he came to earth to do, to live a perfect life as God incarnate, to, to, to live in human form, to die on the cross in our place for our sin and be resurrected again and ascend to the Father and send the Holy Spirit so that we could do this, that truth that we share is what makes us indivisible by any category of this world. Pro, con, left, right. It's bigger. It's bigger in a world that's trying to tear us apart with politics and mandates. We have something bigger than all that. And it's our commitment and shared truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That matters more than all that other stuff. Is it important? Yes. Pay attention. Watch the news. Vote. All those things. But when last I checked, our citizenship is in heaven first. Everything else is secondary to that. That's where home is for you, church. You remember that? See, the Holy Spirit helps us resist the trouble through this shared truth that we have. So share that truth. (laughs) Let a gospel message be on your lips more than a political message. Let what the Word of God says about how to treat your brother and your enemy and not what the media says drive the way you treat people. Jesus is telling you this morning that the world trying to divide you is normal. But that's only half of the trouble. There's also internal trouble that we have to deal with. Internal trouble is normal. Throughout this passage and its broader context, Jesus also warns his disciples that they're going to face trouble from within themselves. Back in chapter 13, he warned them of their own betrayal Jesus warns them in chapter 16, verse 1, they're going to be tempted to fall away. He tells them that they'll struggle with grief, that they'll be convicted of their sin. He says that's normal too. Now Jesus also gives us the Holy Spirit to help us deal with these internal troubles. And the way that the Holy Spirit helps us surpass these internal troubles is by shaping us into the image of Christ together. We are spiritually formed together. I've never understood, and and maybe this is my own inability to conceive of this, um, there's value in silence and solitude, but going off by yourself in the desert and living in a cave for for decades just doesn't, like to become like Jesus just doesn't make sense to me. I, I need you guys to help me become like Jesus. If I could be so bold, you need me to help you become like Jesus. We need each other. We're we're formed in the image of Christ together. And the way this happens, I believe, is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So what do I mean by conviction? Well, in this context, it means to expose, to bring something to light. 
One really interesting aspect of that word conviction is that in the form it appears in here, it conveys the idea that sins continue to be brought to light. It's an on, the verb here is an ongoing thing. Now, I want to be really clear, unmistakably clear. Jesus says that the ministry of the Spirit in this text is to convict the world, non-Christians, regarding their sin. The implication, though, is, well, if he lives in you, he's doing that in you, too. (laughs) That this is an ongoing process. The Holy Spirit dwells inside you, right? He continues to convict you of your sin. Now, just so we're all on the same page about what sin is, sin is doing something God says not to do and or not doing something God says you should do. It's both. All right? It's, 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 it's both things. It's doing something God says not to do and or not doing something God says you should do. <laughs> Carlo Coretto said that the world and the cross do not get along too well together and comfort and holiness do not share the same room. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. But this conviction also concerns righteousness. Righteousness is about having a right standing before God, a clean record. As Marvel's Black Widow might say, there's no red in the ledger. (laughs) I think Jesus is talking about himself here. When he talks about a standard of righteousness, he's talking about himself. He's the ultimate standard of righteousness. And because of that, one of the internal struggles that we face is the giant gap between our own personal righteousness and the righteousness of Jesus. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You felt the tension of that gap. You look at your own life and you look at the life of Jesus and there's such this wide gulf between the two and you're like, oh, when am I gonna get this right? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand there. That's the way I feel a lot of the time. Maybe you can identify. Jesus says here that the world is not ever going to close that gap for you. And if you are looking to the world to justify you, stop. It's never going to happen. Jesus said it won't. That gap is only closed by the grace of God. See, part of what can divide us, part of what divides us, church, what, what can make us divisible if we let it, is seeing the gap in someone else's life relative to my own. Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I'm, I'm older than some of you and younger than, than a lot of you. We tend to overemphasize the gap in other people's life and minimize the gap in our own lives. Anybody else ever notice that? Oh, man, the difference between you and Jesus is huge, and the difference between me and Jesus is just this big. Yeah, right. We all do this. See, here at Chapel Rock, when we talk about bringing our brokenness to Jesus, when you hear us use that phrase in our benediction each week, what we're doing is recognizing the gap. We're acknowledging it together and saying that every one of us has a spiritual need. Again, to go back to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about, you know, this idea of of being spiritually bankrupt. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's acknowledging, yeah, there's a gap between my personal righteousness and the righteousness of Jesus. And rather than dividing us, it ought to bring us together. 
See, sometimes we see the gap in somebody else's life and we, you know, there's this temptation to go, well, you dirty, rotten stinker. And what our reaction should be, the reaction of grace is to go, oh, not you too. Let's help each other. Well, let's hold each other accountable. Let's pray for each other. That's how we close that gap. Through grace. The Spirit shapes us by using our conviction about sin and righteousness and judgment to make us humble. Conviction about sin and righteousness and judgment, as Jesus says here, reminds us that we used to be the world and we were saved out of it. We were rescued as a, as a brand from the fire. Jesus saved us and that makes us indivisible. His going to the Father is proof that he's righteous and he gives his righteousness to those who love him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus became the physical embodiment of sin so that God could pour out all his wrath on sin for all time in Jesus. And because of that, you're forgiven and given grace like Springer said earlier, to then extend it to other people. This conviction about righteousness reminds us that we didn't earn our standing with the Father. We're only righteous because of the work of Christ, which we experience through God's Spirit. And this internal struggle, this recognition of the gap will always be there, but it's normal. Jesus tells his disciples that God can even use those internal struggles as fodder for the Spirit to grow us together in Christ. I saw it illustrated once again for, I don't know, the umpteen thousandth time this week in my office. I have permission to share this story. This week, one of our members came into the office looking for a recommendation of how to deal with someone in their life who's doing wrong. I'm going to keep this as anonymous as possible that someone in their life is doing wrong, they didn't know how to deal with it. Um, as they begin to lay out the wrong, I'm like, wow, that's above my pay grade. And I, I, I'll, I'll flat out tell you, it, there aren't many times that I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> I know you're shocked. Um, I don't know what to say. As they begin to spell this out, I'm going, oh, wow. Um, as the, and so I, I made a recommendation, at least in the wisdom that God gave me in that moment, and I said, can I, can I pray with you before we go? Please. And then it me, I don't even know what to pray. Like, I'm just, I got, I got nothing. Um, help, God? Uh, you know? <laughs> but I remember praying this. I've been studying this passage this week, and I just, I just prayed for conviction. I just prayed that the Holy Spirit would convict this person who was doing wrong of their sin. Jesus says that's his job. That's what he does. I don't know what else to say. I, I, I. But church, what if we did that? What if this idea began to infiltrate our prayer life? Would, could you pray that the Holy Spirit of God would convict, first and foremost, convict you of the gap in your own life. What if you begin to pray, Holy Spirit, convict me of the sin in my own heart. Help me see your righteousness. 
Help me lean into grace, to live by grace each day and not according to the flesh. Could you pray that the Holy Spirit would convict our national, state, and local leaders of the gap in their lives and begin to work to redeem them? We need that. What about praying that for your family and your neighbors? Jesus says that's his job. That's what he does. So if you begin to pray that for them, will not God most certainly answer your prayer? Maybe if we start doing that, maybe if we begin by doing the heavy lifting in prayer and the Holy Spirit responds by conviction of the truth, you know, I'm just crazy enough to believe that maybe we won't be so divided anymore and that the Spirit will form us into the image of Christ. Do you hear me today? It's normal for those who follow Jesus to have trouble but he will help you by his spirit. And sometimes those troubles are external evils of this world. Other times it's your own traitorous heart that lives inside you. All of it is normal for now. One day, Jesus promises here in this passage, one day it'll be different. So what I want to do today to end is to just give you a moment to reflect. I'm going to give you 60 seconds of silence. This quiet time to reflect on the trouble that you're facing. I would encourage you to write it down as a prayer. To acknowledge it before God. We talk about bringing our brokenness to Jesus. <laughs> That's part of it. Acknowledging the places where things aren't right. If you're a follower of Jesus, struggle is normal. That health and wealth theology stuff, that's garbage. That's complete bogus. Jesus tells us struggle's normal. Just like Eli said to Papa, this is really gonna hurt. (laughs) Jesus tells us we're gonna struggle. And so we should, number one, not let it divide us. It ought to bring us together. And number two, we should depend on the Holy Spirit to shape us into the image of Christ through truth and conviction. After a minute or so, John and the band are gonna come lead us in a song. If you've decided this morning that you want what Jesus came to offer you, (laughs) eternal life, forgiveness, and grace, I'm gonna be right down front. If you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, as we start to sing, you come and we'll have that conversation. Maybe you need prayer, we'll find someone to pray with you today. We've got folks who are happy to do that this morning. Just, I'm gonna ask you to remain seated, and then once you hear the band start to sing, then you can stand with us. But I just, I wanna give you just just 60 seconds to meditate on this, and then we'll sing.